Thank you, Father God, for the revelation of your love, your truth, your power, and your grace in the midst of this war, in the midst of this battle, in the, in the, the, for the souls of men. Father God, we thank you that you have given us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive and understand the word of God as you have brought it to us, not as the enemy has perverted it, converted it, tr- you know, translated it, whatever he's done. But your spirit bears witness with our spirit and brings the true revelation of your love and truth so that we can walk in the spirit and we can know the difference between walking in the soul and walking in the spirit. And we've talked about this, Father, before, but we ask now that you give us a deeper understanding of the power and the importance of understanding the difference between the two, Father. We thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ who sets us free. We thank you for the freedom that brings um, righteousness, peace, and joy, the fruits of righteousness, peace, and joy into our lives, that we can walk in that place of joy and victory in the midst of this crazy world down here that is really um, out of control, but totally under your power and control, Lord God, that nothing is out of control. And so we thank you, Father, that it's not a mind over matter, it's the fact that you are faithful, you are good, and you've got this. And so we thank you for tucking us into the safety of the palm of your hand, that we will feel your peace, and that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, deed done, action taken, treachery, uh, betrayals, um, accusations, setups, that we are protected by your spirit, and your spirit is good. And so we thank you now for your wisdom, your counsel, and we ask you for your guidance and direction. Amen. So last week we were talking about um, Jesus uh, versus religion. And, to, and today we're going to kind of continue that subject of Jesus's gospel, the gospel of grace and good news versus the gospel of, of be good. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting that when Jesus was down here, and if you really want to know what you need to know, you want to um, really read the gospels and, and look at Jesus, what he said, what he did, how he responded. So you can have an, your own understanding of what is the truth. So the the gospels of Jesus Christ has been um, tampered with by the enemy who tries to present his gospel as holy and and wonderful and well uh, with many trappings, well ornate and in fine churches and all of these kinds of things. But the real gospel of Jesus Christ is shown to us and walked out, worked out in like in the book of Acts, for example. So what happened in the midst of Satan's attempts, you know, going back to what Jesus does and doesn't do, what he said and didn't say, it's it's important to look at what he didn't say. He never said to the disciples, guys, listen up, you're going to have to be good to get to heaven. That's just the bottom line. You know, you're just going to have to quit all this stuff and and, and try harder and be good. And no, he didn't say that at all. He said, there's none righteous, no, not one. And then he said, uh, he says, here's what you do. You follow me. You allow my spirit to work in you, to lead you and to guide you into all truth and triumph. And so it's not about being good. And people even know this. If you'd ask them, well, how do you get to heaven? Is it because Jesus died on the cross or you have to be good? 
everybody pretty much knows Jesus died on the cross. I mean, even those who don't know anything know it. But why do you know it? Because you know it, because God put it in you to know it. It's not something we learned or understood or, or, or studied or were indoctrinated to believe. It's because we already have that placed in our spirit to know that it is about, um, uh, you know, that's not, you get to heaven by somebody dying on the cross for your sins. And that would be Jesus, of course. So we have, uh, what happened though, when Jesus brought the gospel of grace and good news, what happened was Satan panicked because grace and good news, what's that? There's no leverage. There's no way to um, uh, control the people, to frighten the people, to manage the people, to get the people to listen to fear and do what you want them to do. So Satan was losing control. The gospel of grace and good news made it too easy for them. And so Satan wanted to go back to, uh, he had to have a way to amass sins and get people to be convicted and guilty. And so he could charge them with this and that and take them to the court of heaven and, and present it to God and then justify bringing his demonic judgments upon them because people did not know that their sins had already been paid for and forgiven. So they were paying the bill that was being sent to them over and over and over with someone else that already paid the bill. And they did, they just were stuck in that place of religious practices, frustration, uh, and and abandonment, uh, feeling God was not there for them. So Satan had to use, he had to bring the law back into the gospel of grace because he had to have some leverage, like I said. So what we see today in the church is that we see a mixture of law and grace. And it's everywhere. It's, it's Religion is everywhere. Religion is in the midst of even the most devout um, places where people love God, serve God. They still are fearful of, oh, you know, God might be mad at me. I got to do this. I can't do that. And blah, blah, blah. And so the the when Jesus said, it is finished, you know, he came to finish. What did he finish? He, he's, the law was finished, completed. The demands of the law, the, the soul that sin shall die, all of those requirements of the law, he says, I have finished it. He says he didn't, he, he didn't, you know, dismiss it. He completed it. He satisfied it. And so that law is done and it is not completed by my suffering or my good works or my, you know, um, trying to be good. Uh, as a matter of fact, trying, if you look at it in the simplest way, there's only two kingdoms, heaven and hell. And the, Jesus said, by the fruits, you shall know them. So what, what, what is trying reduced down to uh, peace and joy and comfort or stress and c- worry and uh, exhaustion? So the fruit of worry, stress and exhaustion, fatigue is not from heaven. So when you're trying to be good, you've already defeated your purposes and wore yourself out for no good reason. And so God wants us to abide and to be and abiding, you know, being it's it's, when we were created human beings by the supreme being, that was and is our identity. We are beings that were created by God. We come from the place of God. We come from heaven. We come from God. That's our origin of that's our place of origination. We're not just like little uh, amoebas or monkeys or, you know, have no idea, no father, no purpose. We're of uh, whatever, um, you know, evolved. That's, that's the, that's a lie from Satan, of course. And a lot of people, yeah, they believe the lie because they don't want to have to acknowledge or be accountable to God because they think to be accountable to God, I have to be perfect. I can't be perfect. So therefore let's just forget being perfect and let's just do what we want to do and do the best we can and hope for the best. Okay. 
So the problem is that 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 caught hold, that spirit of evolution and coming from monkeys and and I don't have to give account to God because the gospel that they were being preached, that was being preached to them was a gospel of impossible. It's impossible to be that good. So I can't, I just, you know, can't. So the, the true gospel of Jesus Christ is an open door to come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. How many people say that, and then they say, yeah, but, and say, yeah, but, you know, you, you know, they preach this lovely message on Sunday morning about grace and Jesus and good news and da-da-da-da, and then they say, but, but you have to, you know, do this more and do that less and da-da-da-da-da, and you've got to love your neighbor. Okay, well, you've got to love your neighbor, what if you already do love your neighbor? What if loving your neighbor is who you are? That is the spirit of God. The spirit of God is I love my neighbor and I will love my neighbor more and more as they follow God more and more. So they're trying to make even the gospel of grace and good news about law. You know, not because we don't realize we are beings. Now, when we were created, as I said, supreme by the supreme being, little beings, at the entry point of where you come into this world, into this time corridor called life, um, the the devil stops us and says, whoa, 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 stop. We're changing the rule here. You're going to be uh, redefined. I'm going to obscure the fact that you're beings made by the supreme being and your little children of God. We're going to obscure all that. You're never going to know that. You're not even going to know. We remember this conversation because I am changed. Once you get to my kingdom, the earth, the God of this world, everything is changed and you are redefined by what you do, by your behavior. So being versus behavior is part of the battle. And so now we're all thrown into the snake pit and we're tra- all trying to behave well and, and, and by behaving define who we are. When in fact, my, my true behavior needs to come out of who I am and I am the daughter, son of the most high God. So we've got it flipped backwards. And so every arena is a, is a place of judging and comparing and striving and, you know, I got to run faster. I got to be smarter. I got to be perfect. I got to be good. I got to, you know, sit up straight in church. I got to, all of these, you know, whether it's the church, the street, the, the, the courtroom, the, the, the society, the family, the school, everywhere is based on a, de- you're being defined by what you do. And, and it's about do, 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 and never done. Do it again, do it over, do it more. And Jesus said on the cross, the opposite. He said, it is done. It is finished. I've completed the work that needs to be done for you to be redeemed and brought back into the fullness of who you are, into your full identity. And so the the war between the gospel of grace, which Jesus brought, and the gospel of be good is going on to this very day. And and it, it gets serious. Uh, it gets important when you go back to looking at things like, okay, are we going to, you know, in Galatians, Paul is talking, and I mentioned this last time, about, you know, have you, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Literally, it is a bewitching spirit that has come over the church, come over the followers to push us back into the place of legalism and law and striving and trying to be good and and doing all of this out of a mechanical kind of ritualistic uh, behavior as opposed to understanding who we are and abiding in Jesus Christ and being uh, who he wants us to be, knowing who we are. So he says, oh, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect in the flesh? So what do we need nowadays? We need miracles. We need faith. We need, um, you know, healings. We need impossible things all over the place to be done. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to do it in the flesh. 
We're trying to do with programs. We're trying to do it with, with education. We're trying to do it with, with vaccinations. We're trying to do it with, um, uh, you know, uh, whatever, teachings, books, uh, lectures. We're not actually, you know, understanding that it's not about trying to indoctrinate or educate your soul or your flesh. It is about slipping from that arena into the arena of walking in the spirit of God, knowing God, walking and communicating with him, abiding with him and doing like Jesus did, just listening to the father, praying to the father, uh, standing, pausing, waiting, and then doing what the father directs him to do. So Paul says, are you so, are you, have you suffered so many things in vain in Galatians chapter three, verse four, therefore he who supplies the spirit to you and the works of miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or the flesh or by the hearing of faith? So he's saying you cannot do these mighty things, miracles and whatnot by just being good and working and uh, working through the flesh. It has to come by God's spirit bearing witness with our spirit. So we have to know that there's really um, two paths here. There's the soul, which is 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 uh, identified with and and um, grafted into or comes out of self, S E L F, the self, or it is the spirit of God bearing witness with our spirit, which we have a spirit too, to lead us into all truth, triumph, and victory. So there's really it's a fine line. The Bible says the sword of the word of God in Hebrews chapter uh, four, I think verse twelve, the, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing of what what three element what three situations bone and marrow thought and intention soul and spirit so what is why why those three things i don't get it well because each one represents one of the uh, one of the realms there's the physical realm you know the the bone from the marrow okay that's biological that's you know identifiable you can put that under a microphone that's bodily stuff so it can separate a, a tumor or, or a, a uh, from uh, uh, an organ, for example. Uh, and then the second arena is the, the thought from the intention. In other words, in your soul, in your mind, it's really impossible for us to separate out a thought, a temptation, and, our, and from our intention to act on that temptation. So that's where the sword of God's word can separate the soul um, uh, in its in thought and intention. And the third arena is where the, the soul and the spirit need to be separated. It says the thought from the intention of the soul from the spirit. What that, that means is that my spirit and my soul are not the same thing. Although if they operate as the same thing many times, then it becomes confusing and we get in this muddy mess and we have no power to do anything and we become very discouraged and disgruntled. But we can understand if we're in that place of feeling discouraged and disgruntled and disappointed and doubtful and whatever else, we're actually in a battle between the soul and the spirit. Because the soul says, I feel, I think, it looks like, and your spirit says, but the word says, but the word says, it is written, like Jesus te- you know, beat the devil, it is written, Satan, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God, thou shalt not, you know, uh, you know uh, worship the enemy, thou shalt not, and so it's written. So we go between, the, it is written in the word of God, which gives the spirit its authority, because our spirit is, is obedient to and responding to um, God's spirit in us. His spirit bears witness with our spirit. Or we're going back to the old flesh pots of trying to figure it out and do the right thing and hope everybody's not mad at us and be all freaked out and feel alienated and, and, and guilty and whatever. So uh, if you understand what I'm saying, there are two arenas. There is the, the soul, 
which is carried by the body. So the body and the soul together make what we call the flesh. Uh, and the flesh is obviously the body itself is weak and vulnerable in many ways and needs many things and is open to many um, problems and issues because it is weak. You know, we need water, we need food, we need air pressure, we need right you know, temperatures. And the soul itself has also been corrupted because it's, we've lived forever in this, in this world, this lifetime, in the snake pit where the dic- dictates of the world, the, the pr- principles and philosophy of the world are crammed down our throat, the educational systems, the um, expectations, the dictates of this world, God of this world, everything is just crammed down our throats to indoctrinate us. And through the experiences we have, we identify or learn to do things a certain way. And the only way we can break out of that indoctrination is to go into the Word of God and read what the Lord says and do what the Lord says and see how the Lord handles things and what is important and what is not. And so um, I'm going to take some practical steps here to actually put this down for you in a list. And the list is actually written in the book Diagnosing Your Family Tree on pages um, uh, 269 and 270. So it's it's the list of law versus grace. It's it's very important for you to see this. And people, like we all began in some religious cult or some religious, you know, situation. And God's whole process of sanctification is to bring us out of that religious fear and the grip of guilt, shame, and condemnation into the place of uh, restoration, rejoicing, peace, confidence in God, revelation of the goodness of God, fellowship with God, and trusting God. And so the, the, it's, a pro, it's a journey. It's a journey that comes, um, uh, is the, the journey that we go through whether we realize it or not on this earth. And some of us get too a little further along in the journey than others. But so here's the list, the list of law versus grace. So we have law versus grace. We've been talking about that. We have works versus the Holy Spirit. We talked about that a little bit in Galatians. The, the works of trying to get things done, the gospels of social justice and things like that, they're all nice, but they can't give people their sight back. They can't heal a blind eye. They can't give a crippled foot uh, the power to walk. The Holy Spirit can. So the, the, the works, trying to be good versus I am good, you know, sin versus salvation. So the gospel, according to Satan, is what are you going to do to get rid of your sin? S-I-N. It's all about sin, getting rid of sin. Got to be good to get rid of sin. Got to go to church to get rid of sin. Got to, you know, keep God happy to get rid of sin. You know, you're in trouble if you sin. Versus salvation. And so salvation is, what are you going to do with my son? What did you do with my son? Did you accept his substitutionary death for you? Did you accept his life? So sin versus son. S-I-N versus S-O-N. The counterfeits are very close. There's only one vowel different between sin and son. And it is the, in the vowel I in sin, it's all about me. Even the idolatry of it's all about me trying to be good. It's all about me trying to get rid of my sin. It's all about me trying to, um, you know, be good enough to get to heaven. Uh, and then at that point, God is forced to um, owe me heaven as opposed to giving salvation to me as a gift because I've earned it by my good behavior versus the son who died for us in our place um, because he loves us, because we couldn't die in our, pl- in our own place, because it wouldn't work, because we were already bought and enslaved by sin. So salvation is that free gift. I cannot earn it, but I can receive it. 
uh, just like a gift at Christmas time. You don't earn it. You receive it. You get the gift given to you because someone loved you, because someone wanted to bless you. Or maybe someone felt obligated to bless you. I don't know. But for the most part, a true gift is given and received because of, you know, the love that that person has for you. Salvation is that gift. Soul versus spirit. We've kind of already talked about that. Um, the soul comes out of the, I think, I feel, I don't know, but it looks like, what are they saying? What am I supposed to do? What does everybody think? Um, you know, as opposed to the spirit, which says, I know. His spirit bears witness, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 11, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. But God has revealed those things to us by his spirit that we might know. So when you get saved, the Bible says the spirit of a man in Proverbs 20, 27 is the candle of the Lord searching all the inner rooms of the heart. So when we get saved, when we were yet dead in sins and trespasses in Ephesians chapter two, we were quickened. The candle got lit and now the Holy Spirit takes us on a tour of our life. So his spirit, our spirit's the candle. His spirit is the tour guide. So he takes us on this tour of our lives to show us all of the lies, all the, the, the accusations, all of the generational iniquities, all the junk that needs to be moved out of the, out of the, the place so that we can work in the spirit, walk in the spirit. So the thing is the spirit of God, his spirit bears witness with our spirit. So he's confirming to us. Um, so when we get, get saved, our spirit becomes like the uh, activated. It's like the receptor site for the download of the revelation of God's spirit. So now we can walk in the spirit because what happens if we just continue to walk in the soul, the flesh, religion, the striving, and we don't see the power of God's spirit. We don't see the gifts. We don't see the miracles. We don't see the answers to prayer. If we don't see that stuff, Satan knows pretty soon we're going to figure it out that there's no power in walking in the soul. There's no power in religion. So what he has done is counterfeited. He's faked out. He's given us counterfeit Holy Spirits. He's given us counterfeit miracles, counterfeit signs and wonders, counterfeiting the truth so that we don't figure it out that, wait a minute, we're, we're not getting the right answers here. The right fruit is not coming out of what we're believing. So he counterfeits. So we have what we call antichrist spirits, the spirits of divination, deception. So people are thinking they're hearing from God and they're, they're really actually being lied to by a spirit of divination or deception that's causing them to become a liar and tell other people things that are not true uh, in, in the name of God in the name of the Holy Spirit. And they don't realize that they are actually being deceived by a lying spirit who's pretending to be the Holy Spirit. And they're, they're thinking they're moving in the spirit of God when they're actually being used by a lying spirit who pretends to be, freaks them out, uh, and an antichrist or a false, pro- false prophecy. And Jesus said in the last days, don't be deceived, there's going to be many false teachers, false prophets, um, people coming in his name saying, I'm over here, I'm over there. He says, don't jump around and follow them. He says, just stay put and listen to me. Um, so that's what's happening with a lot of this these days because it's getting more po- powerful. The battle is more intense. Um, the, the spirit of the enemy, the evil one is more uh, anxious. So he's really you know, doing the smoke and mirrors deal to just ramp it up and get and, and and I know for a fact 
many churches are deceived by the spirits of witchcraft, cunning, bewitching, uh, divination. They're, They're churches that want God. They think they're walking in the spirit. And they've got a mixture of law and grace so that they, they cannot even see what's really going on because they're so convinced that what they were doing all along was right and that they, that they have not been misled. So they can, they're, by the very fact that they're refusing to re- receive the love of the truth, they're being misled. And, but, you know, God is good. He's faithful. And I see also that he's going into these churches because judgment begins at the house of God. And he's beginning to expose those things that are, you know, permitted and, 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 and believed to be right and accurate and, and Holy Spirit. Because what happens if you call out those spirits of deception and divination, like Paul did in Acts sixteen sixteen, they were running into this stuff too in the book of Acts. Um, you know, there were people who wanted to buy the power of the Holy Spirit uh, for, for, with money. There were people who were saying, these are the men of the Most High God who were preaching what sounded like the right gospel and the right endorsement, but they were practicing and under the power and control of witchcraft and fortune telling. So Paul had to separate out that spirit, call it out, um, and cast it out. And the, the trigger that alerted him was the fact that he was annoyed by this thing you shouldn't be, you know, if somebody's really pr- promoting the true gospel of Jesus Christ and endorse and endorsing your ministry in sincerity, you think that you'd be happy, you'd be pleased. But Paul was annoyed because in his spirit, he knew that there was something fishy going on here. And even though he didn't at the point know it until it came out of his mouth, he cast out the spirit of divination so the soul versus spirit understanding is very important because the soul, soulish, self, selfish, um, spiritual uh, deception all come out of a desire. You know, we have a desire to be spiritual. So Satan, he's a fisherman. So he puts on the hook, the bait of our desire, uses our desire to be spiritual, to give us a fake uh, Holy Spirit, Antichrist spirit. And we, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to really search our soul and the Word of God to show us the truth, we can be captivated, held captured by religion and divination and deception all of our lives and think that we have been doing God a service when actually we're doing nothing but being made a fool of by the devil. So then we have the next contradictions here, faith versus fear. Um, perfect love casts out fear. If you are doing anything in your life, I don't care, stop and think what you just did today or yesterday. If you're doing that thing because you're afraid of what will happen, what will people think? I might get sick. I might, you know, die. I might, you know, people might not like me. If you're doing anything out of, motivated out of fear, it's not faith. Faith says, um, I'm okay. God is good. And if I have to lay down my life for the truth, I will. Faith is, is not looking for security. The, the actual true mark of a disciple is he who seeks to save his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will keep it. So the whole gospel is not about finding the place of security and safety, which is becoming actually the, the actual open-door portal for destruction for the masses. They have bought that, that uh, I don't know, that they bought that line that they have to do something to stay safe. You know what? 
rejoice in God. You're still here. God is keeping you. His angels are watching over you. And all the, all the crazy that's ripping up in the world out there, God is still with you. And you don't have to be afraid because God is committed to you. He's faithful to complete the work he's begun in you. It's not your job. It's his job. It's only your job to do one thing. And that is what Jesus said to his disciples. Follow me, follow me, follow me. You know, follow me. Let go of your old religious traditions. Let go of your wealth. Let go of your, your, your self-righteous law-keeping abilities and follow me. Follow me. Let go of the self. Let go of the fear. And trust me that I can get you to heaven because I know where it is. I've been there and I want to take you with me. So another uh, versus the circumcision versus the cross. And that was quite clear in the Old Testament and a kind of a big battle in the New Testament in the beginning when they were saying, well, do the, the believers now, do they need to be circumcised or or what? Or, and, and, you know, is the cross enough? And P- and Paul said the cross is enough. Peter says, eh, I'm not quite sure about it. And so what happened was actually the door closed on the Jewish people in terms of really embracing the gospel of grace and good news because it was now focusing on the Gentiles who accepted the cross and didn't try to practice religion and include all these other things. Circumcision was important with God and Abraham because it was a sign. It wasn't the, the it didn't, circumcision didn't give him the power. It didn't give him the, the salvation. It just was a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham. And it was because it was the sign, it was the sign that there was a covenant, that there was an agreement between the two of them. And so now the sign of the covenant is Jesus Christ and his blood. So the programs versus power. Again, I, I've re- I mentioned, you know, the churches that want to come up, they don't have the power. So they try to do all the pretty programs and they've got their churches now look like theaters and, and we have stages and we have platforms and we have performances and we have all kinds of, you know, a show and, and, and enticements to draw people into the building uh, find programs and uh, wear ourselves out doing programs and there's no real power. I mean, the miracles, the power, like, okay, so we put on this big feast, this big bank with this big whatever it is, this big tournament, this big to raise money, to draw attention, to get people in the building and some little guy in the parking lot prays for a, a person who's blind and they get healed. Now that is much more exciting and remarkable than going to all these programs, yet the, per, the substituting <clears throat> of the programs because we don't have the power is a, a, a real apparent deficit to those who follow religion instead of the Spirit of God. And we talked about trying versus trusting. You know, trusting in what, it, what God says, not in what it looks like. How many people, oh my gosh, are always worried about what it looks like they're not trusting. They're not saying, I don't care what it looks like. This is what God says. You know, this is, I don't care what I feel like. Because people who run their lives by their feelings go up and down and up and down and up. And there's no end to the, 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 um, uh, the roller coaster. So we want to rebu- abide in the trusting and the faithfulness of God to complete the work he's begun in us. And you can use his word and go back to him and say, you know what, God, this is your problem. You were the one who started it. You made me. You brought me here. You let this all happen um, as you've permitted it. And so now I, you also said you're faithful to complete the work you've begun in me. So I am going to trust you and stop striving. I'm going to be and abide, and I'm going to use my energy for being and abiding and rejoicing in you. So that goes to the doing versus being. 
being in abiding, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. So our, be, our, our sustenance, our nurture uh, comes from the, the, the nutrition, the um, supply of the vine to the branch. And the branch doesn't go out and find its own supply. It doesn't set up its own roots. It depends on the roots and the supply and the faithfulness of the, of the, the vine, the, st- the stock. And so we can be and abide and trust that we will be supplied with everything we need. God has given us everything we need to live godly in Christ Jesus. He says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And with every temptation, he makes a way of escape that you're able to bear it. So in other words, God is not going to let the devil take you out, push you down so hard that you cannot stay. You cannot stand, that you cannot survive. God will make a way of escape. However, some of us miss that way of escape because we're still trying to do it ourselves. Okay, earning versus receiving. Salvation is a free gift. The gi- Healing is a gift. You can't be good enough to get healed. You can't be... Um, God heals some of the most crusty, <clears throat> ungrateful, not nice people. If you noticed in the in the New Testament, he healed the man who was... Um, uh, sitting at the gate for 38 years. And when Jesus healed him, the guy actually went and told on him, you know, uh, so it's not about, um, you know, having, it's a gift. It's not about, you know, something you deserve. Uh, it's, it's nothing we can earn. So salvation, deliverance, and healing and the Holy Spirit are all gifts. And, and God wants to give us gifts, but we say, Oh, I don't know. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. I, sinned yesterday, I spilled my coffee, whatever. I mean, we're just all kind of like taken up with ourselves and while we believe we have to be in order to receive. And that's called conditional love. And we're very used to conditional love. We're not used to the unconditional love of the Father. And so um, Jesus brought that to us when he showed us he loved the unloving, the unlovable, and he loved them. And he, and he, the ones he couldn't love were the ones who received, rejected his love, the Pharisees and the self-righteous. So uh, striving versus resting. This is another very important one. And I think with this one, we'll end today, although there's more to the list. We strive, we're overwhelmed, we're anxious. We're not sure if God's mad at us. We're not sure if we did it right. We're not sure what's going to happen. So we strive, we're we're confused. We don't know where to start. And so ultimately out of the striving and the feeling overwhelmed comes anxiety. And how many of us are taking medications now for being anxious? And how can a pill fix the situation. It can't. It really can't. All it can do is do something inside of you to silence you, shut you down, mess with your neurological transmitters or whatever it does to fake you out to think that things are better when nothing has really changed and you've made it worse by now you've got poison in your, that your liver is trying to detoxify. Okay, so we're really not making much progress here. Resting in God is being and believing and abiding and knowing, K-N-O-W-I-N-G, knowing that I am loved, that God is good, that God has got this. And you know what you, once you start resting and receiving that, you can start thinking ahead, thinking towards heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the, the works uh, of the, the good things that are to come. And so death versus life, this is where it really bottom lines, you know, that we will have and we have the eternal life of Jesus Christ. And I, And the good news is, I believe, and I think the Bible also bears witness to the fact that, again, because you don't have to be perfect to get to heaven, a lot of people are going to get to heaven that are going to be shocked they actually got there because they did accept Jesus, but they had a a, a very difficult time down here 
and they were not given the truth much and they didn't know what was what. And so they are, are saved because God keeps his word, not because they were good and perfect. So Father, we thank you again today for the completed work of Jesus Christ. It is finished. It was finished on the cross and is it is, it was, and it is being completed in us. So we thank you for the promises that you've kept, you've given to us, the ones you've already made and kept and the ones yet to come that we will live and abide with you forever in heaven. And even in the promises of what's yet to come in this world, we see that you are faithful to complete the good work and protect us in the midst of uh, everything going on down here. So we love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your goodness. Be, encu- be encouraged now in the Lord today. And if you want to, thank you for listening. Check us out again uh, at liferecovery.com, Diagnosing Your Family Tree uh, and or um, Cravings, another really good book about who we are in Christ Jesus. It also addresses a lot of issues of the, the depravity of man and the sinful human nature. So God be with you, be blessed, and we'll talk to you again soon. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.